thank you. Uh, thank you, singers, for blessing us with that song. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. Let me encourage you when you are with us, either online, and welcome to those who are with us virtually on the live stream and may even be watching the video later. I have a copy of God's Word with you uh, so you can follow along. This morning, as we move through the book of Revelation, um, I was talking with uh, various folks this morning, and I hope you can see, and I'm sure you can, as we study through this book, world events are certainly lining up that way to, to be just what God says will happen. Uh, this morning, we come to the sounding of the seventh trumpet. Uh, we'll be considering uh, that final trumpet as the leads into the bold judgments. The context of this passage, as you know, and for those who maybe have not been with us, is set in a time uh, called the tribulation, a seven-year period uh, that will happen after the rapture of the church. Now, the world as we know it, uh, as humanity has known it for the last 2,020 years, will come to an abrupt end with the rapture of the church. Uh, I'm looking forward to that, and, and I, I often pray that it's in my lifetime. Uh, I just can't think of anything cooler than getting changed in an instant in a moment and being raptured to meet Jesus in the air. Uh, but whether that happens or not in our lifetime, this world will come to that kind of an abrupt end. Jesus will call his bride out of this world. And then a seven-year period will ensue following uh, the grace age, the church age, if you will. Three and a half years uh, of relative peace, the Antichrist will come on the scene. And then the last half of the tribulation will be the worst. Uh, Jesus called it the Great Tribulation. It's when his wrath will be poured out predominantly in that last three and a half years. And Antichrist in that last three and a half years will do his worst. Uh, he'll turn against Israel. He will demand to be worshipped as God and he'll kill anyone who rebels against him. So life on earth during the tribulation will be tough and, and billions, not millions, but billions of people will die. Uh, through war and famine and pestilence, and then the direct judgment of God. Now, we know that God's judgment in that last half of the tribulation will be poured out in three sets of seven. There's the, th the uh, seven seal judgments when Jesus opens the scroll. There's the seven trumpet judgments, of which we're looking at the seventh trumpet sounding today. And then there are the seven bowl judgments. Now, the, the seven bowl judgments, which we will move into here in a few weeks, happen in very rapid succession because they're at the end. And uh, Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse that if God did not cut that time short in the Great Tribulation part, no one would survive. There would be nobody left on the planet. Uh, but that just indicates the severity of the increasing severity of these judgments as they move toward the end of the Tribulation. And of course, as we look forward again to the kingdom of Christ as he comes. Look at verse 15 with me as we begin to think about the sounding of the seventh trumpet. And let's just consider this morning what God reveals to us here about that event. Uh, John said, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. The seventh trumpet sounds, and there is immediately loud rejoicing from heaven. It's not one voice, it's voices, it's many voices which means really all the inhabitants of heaven, the angels, the cherubims, the seraphims, the, the raptured church, every creature in heaven uh, rejoices at the sounding of the seventh trumpet. Why? Because, as John describes here, the kingdom is near. 
uh, the kingdom of Christ uh, is near. Now, what do we mean when we, when we talk about the kingdom of Christ? Well, I'm going to show you three examples from the Old Testament very quickly that the kingdom of Christ has been promised uh, from really the beginning of the writing of Scripture all the way from Genesis because even in the, in the fall in the garden uh, where God said that Satan would bruise his heel and that Jesus would crush Satan's head is speaking of that kingdom. What this verse is revealing is that the kingdom of Christ at this point in the tribulation is very near, meaning there is but the seven bold judgments and then Jesus is coming back at the battle of Armageddon and establishing his kingdom. Now here's how the Bible describes that it will go. Uh, at the end of the tribulation, Antichrist will have the, the remaining Hebrews cornered in Israel again with the intention of killing them all and wiping out Israel as Satan has tried to do throughout human history. Um, we could pull out many examples of that. But when it looks hopeless for Israel, when it looks like Antichrist is going to win today, Jesus will appear from heaven with the armies of heaven. He will come back. He, the sword of his mouth, he'll speak the word. The armies of Antichrist will be destroyed. He'll simply speak them out of existence because he's God. He spoke them into existence, so it's really easy for him to speak them out of existence. And uh, they'll die and then the Antichrist, the false prophet, and the beast will be cast into the lake of fire. We'll never hear from those guys again. Amen. Uh, they'll be gone. And then Satan will be bound for a thousand years, and he'll be put in a pit. And the millennial reign of Christ will begin. Uh, and Jesus will rule on this earth, literally, from Jerusalem on the throne of David for 1,000 years. At the end of that 1,000 years, his kingdom will not end. It will continue into eternity. Thus, the passage says he will reign forever and ever. Meaning once his millennial reign begins, it will move right into eternity. Let me show you some promises of that. Over in 2 Samuel chapter 7, and you can don't have to turn there. We'll put the verses up for you. David, you will remember the story, wanted to build a temple for God. They had been using the tabernacle ever since they came out of Egypt. They had built the tabernacle. Uh, they have been worshiping with this tent. Uh, David had a really nice house built for himself because he's the king. And he was convicted about it. He said, well, you know, I got this nice house, and God doesn't have a house, so I want to build God a house. I want to build a temple. Uh, God did not allow him to do that because David was a warrior, and God said, you have too much blood on your hands, but I'm going to let your son Solomon build a temple. But God said to David through the prophet, because I see it in your heart that you want to honor me by building this temple, God said, I'm going to reciprocate and honor you by building you a house. And God tells him this whole story about his house and his lineage and his throne is going to be forever. In fact, in 2 Samuel 7, 16, listen to this. God said to David, In your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. Now, how is that possible? Because David died. And everybody born after David, born of humanity, does what? They die. Who's the only one that's forever? Jesus. You see, Jesus is in the lineage of David. He was born of Joseph and Mary who were in the lineage of David. Both of them are in the lineage of David. And so Jesus is that promised one who will sit on the throne of David forever and forever and forever because he's God. And so this, this uh, Revelation eleven fifteen is, a, is an announcement and a fulfillment of that promise. Let me give you another one in Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 and 9. Now listen to this. The psalmist says in the second chapter of Psalms, and if you've been with us, in our studies in the book of Psalms, you'll remember this, hopefully, from when we did this, okay? Listen to what he says here. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, 
Let us break their bonds to pieces and cast away their cords from us. Verse 4, He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. That's exactly what happens in the tribulation. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me. Now listen to this. And I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces with potter's vessel. Listen, there's a promise all the way back in the book of Psalms that Jesus is going to rule. God the Father has said, God the Son, I'm going to give you the nations as your inheritance. I'm going to give you the earth as your inheritance. Here's, here's what's happened. Satan has ruined what God created by bringing sin in, and Jesus is going to take it back. He's going to take back what's his. The nations, the nations rail against God today. The United States of America rails against God today in our sin. And God laughs at us and holds us in derision. Means in confusion and mockery for our foolishness. If you don't think this country is, is acted foolishly, just look at the laws we've enacted and how we break God's laws and the things that we do. It's an offense to God. And the Bible says God has promised the world and the nations to his son. Zechariah in the Old Testament, Zechariah Malachi, if you know in the Old Testament, right near the end of the Old Testament, probably said it clearer than any prophet in the Old Testament. Listen to what he said in Zechariah 14.9. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. Doesn't get any more, any more clear than that, does it? Zechariah said, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. And what day, listen, in that day, it shall be the Lord is one and his name one. One kingdom. Today, the world is divided up among nations. We have boundaries and we have borders and we have, we have nations and nationalities and sovereignty around the world and this nation and that nation. Not so when Jesus comes, it's going to be one under him. There aren't going to be any nations. Not going to be any Britain and France and Spain and the United States. It's going to be one. It's going to be his kingdom. You see, Satan is a usurper and Satan is a deceiver and a liar. It brings death and destruction to everything that he touches. And he's done that in this world. And the promises with the sounding of the seventh trumpet, all of heaven rejoices. The voices of heaven cry out in hallelujah as they can see the kingdom is about to arrive. And they're all excited. And, they're, and they proclaim it because the kingdom is near. Armageddon, Jesus will defeat the enemy with a spoken word. The Bible describes he's going to remake Jerusalem. It's going to be a beautiful land again. It's going to be rivers flowing through and his throne set on high. And it talks about in that millennial kingdom that people will flow to Jerusalem to hear Jesus teach. And how about that? There's some good teachers in the world, but there's none better than Jesus. We can sit and listen to him teach. And listen, if you're saved today, you'll be in your resurrection body. And the Bible says we will serve in his kingdom. And so when I'm not on duty doing whatever it is I'm supposed to be doing, I'm going to be listening to him. See, listen, this is going to be exciting. And, and it made me think as I was studying this and thinking, God, how great. God, do it today. You know, I'm thinking, Lord, today, rapture the church and just get started. This world's messed up. Made me think. Whose kingdom are you in? Which side are you on? 
You see, you're, 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 there's, only two to, there's only two sides. There's to be in the kingdom of Christ is to be saved and be a citizen of heaven. If you're lost in your sin and, and you're separated from God by your sin, you're under Satan's kingdom and you're under his domain. And let me tell you, he's the losing side because Jesus is going to rule and all of heaven rejoices. Do you rejoice today in the thought that Jesus could come at any moment? Does it excite you to think that Jesus could rapture the church at any moment and take us out of here to meet him in the air? Does that excite you or does it make you afraid? Does the thought of that give you trepidation? Do you think with anxiety, am I really ready? The answer to that question is to really know Jesus, to really know that you're saved. And I don't mean, I don't mean religion, and I don't mean denominations, and I don't mean church. I mean a, a personal, saving relationship with Jesus Christ. One of, one of the things that saddens my heart is I look at the church in the United States of America today, and I think there are a lot of people in the United States of America who are playing at Christianity. That's my observation. I don't think they're genuine. I think they like the connection and they like the social connection to it. But I don't really know if they have a saving relationship with Jesus because they don't live like it. And they don't act like it. Now only God knows if they're saved and I pray for their sake that they are. But I think when Jesus calls his bride out of this world, it's going to be a lot of people that thought they were going, they ain't gone. They're going to be left here. And on our other side of that, there might be some people in heaven that are going to surprise you when you get there. Matter of fact, there might be some people who look at you and go, oh, you're here. <laughs> yeah. Right. The point is it can happen any time. And you need to make sure, you need to make sure that you're ready. Now, all of heaven is rejoicing because the kingdom is close, the seventh trumpet. And then John, he, he sees some elders there. You'll remember these from back in chapter 4. Look at verses 16 to 18 with me. John says that, And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God. Now, look at what they said in verse 17. We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned. They're celebrating because he's bringing in his kingdom. Verse 18, the nations were angry and your wrath has come in the time of the dead that they should be judged and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. You remember these 24 elders. Let me just refresh your memory. These 24 elders represent the rapture church who's already in heaven while the tribulation is taking place. Now, we pointed this out back in chapter 4, but I'll just again remind, remind you, um, everything about these elders points to the Christian church, points to the church age, to the saints who were saved from Pentecost till the time Jesus raptures the church. That's the church age. And that church age, that period of time, has a very peculiar set of people who were saved called the bride of Christ, the church. And the description of these elders back in chapter 4 and here fits the church to a T. They're in white robes, righteousness. They're already righteous. They're wearing crowns. They're wearing crowns that represent rewards, meaning that at the rapture, when we go meet Jesus in the air and the tribulation is beginning here, we're going to go to the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of our Christian life before Jesus and receive rewards for the things we've done for him. Now listen. I have people ask me sometimes, what kind of rewards is Jesus going to give us? 
Well, the Bible just calls them crowns. But don't get too carried away. You're not going to have an I love me wall in heaven, okay? You know, you get out of the military. When you go in the military, you, you get all these plaques and stuff. And when you get out of the military, you go to a room in your house and you hang them all over the wall. You go, yeah, that's what I did. Not going to be one of them walls in heaven, okay? Because you know what you're going to do with them crowns? You're going to put them back at the feet of Jesus. You're going to worship with them because he's the one who gave them to you and he's the one who enabled you to do what you did. And so you lay them back at the feet of Jesus. How sad, I've often said, would Christian to get to heaven and get there as if by fire all their works burned up because they did nothing for God, but they're saved and they have no crowns to lay at his feet. How sad would that be? But these crowns, these, these 24 elders are praising God for the kingdom that's coming because they are the church. And I don't know about you. I, I, I was writing some notes here as I was going through this. I, I pray that it's your desire for Jesus to come. I pray that it's your desire for him to bring his kingdom, to come and do all the things that he said. You know, in the, in the model prayer that Jesus gave us in Matthew chapter 9, he gave us what's often called the Lord's Prayer. Listen, listen to how Jesus told us to pray. In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed is your name. Holy is your name. Listen to the next thing. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is that? That's a prayerful desire for Jesus to bring in his kingdom. That's what that is. And at the end of that thing in verse 13, don't lead us to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Jesus said, pray for the kingdom. Pray for it. Man, I pray for it every day. I watch the news and I watch what's going on in the world and I say, Lord Jesus, come. I see the, I see the sin in the world and I say, Lord Jesus, come. I see the civil unrest in the world and the hatred between people for ethnicity and skin color and all the reasons that men fight and hate one another. And I say, Lord Jesus, come. And let me say this. The only thing that can fix the problems that are in the world today is Jesus. The only, listen, the only thing that, that, that changes a doctor from being an abortionist and killing babies in the womb to one who loves life is for them to get a new heart, for them to meet Jesus and get saved. The only thing that, that changes a, a, a man who's a, a womanizer and, and immorality and adultery and fornication and all the wickedness that goes on in the world is for people to get a new heart and God to change their worldview. See, we can, man, we should, we should stand up against evil and we should speak against evil. There's nothing wrong with that. And we ought to lead people as a church to do what's right but you can't be all upset and discouraged when people in the world who are lost don't follow you. Because the only reason that's going to move them to follow you is if they meet Jesus and then follow him. You see, we should desire the kingdom of Christ to come because sin has so messed up the world. And it's not the way God intended it. And I don't know about you, but sometimes it breaks my heart to see the hurt and the pain that goes on in life. People shooting one another and killing and the, and the murdering that's going on and children being killed. Not to mention the effects on them growing up in that kind of situation. God never intended that for humanity. And the only one that can fix it is Jesus. And so we should long for him to come. We should pray for him to come. We should be like these 24 elders who, who fall down in heaven and worship the one who's bringing in the kingdom we should do that even here today, asking him to come. Now notice these elders in heaven, what they praise God for. 
Number one, they praise him because he's eternal. We give you thanks in verse 17, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is, who was, and who is to come because you have taken your great power and reigned. We pointed this out last week. God's the only one in the entire universe who's eternal. He's the only one. Matter is not eternal. Stuff is not eternal. God spoke everything that exists into existence out of nothing. He spoke it into existence. God took nothing and made something. God's the only one who can do that. We make things. We create things, but we don't make it out of nothing. In fact, we take what God put here and we put it together because God gave it to us. We can't take nothing and make something, but God can because he's eternal. And so we praise God. The church praises God in heaven for being the eternal one. And then notice here they said that they praise him because he's the judge. Look at verse 18. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. Well, the nations railed against God. Antichrist led them to do that. God's wrath comes. He judges them. And notice what they said. And they should be judged and you should reward your servants. So they, they praise God for judging the dead. What does that mean? Well, when a lost man or woman leaves this life, if you've never been saved and you die physically, your body goes in the grave, but your soul lives on forever and it immediately goes to a place of suffering and torment. We call it hell. And you stay there until the event called the great white throne judgment. And then you have to stand in front of Jesus, who's the judge, as the church says right here. And you have to give an account for all the sin of your life because, see, you rejected Jesus who would forgive it. And so now you have to be accountable for it. Hey, write this down or make a mental note of this. Somebody has to pay for sin. Sin is not free. The wages of sin is death. Somebody's got to pay for it. There are only two options. Jesus paid for it on the cross when he died. Now you can go to him by faith and ask him to forgive you, put your faith in him, and he will forgive your sin because he already paid for it. But if you reject him and you die in your sin, you have to pay for it. You have to stand in front of Jesus one day, the one you rejected, and give an account. Listen, the church is rejoicing and praising God because he's going to judge the wicked. Not because we don't like people, but because wickedness has brought us to where we are today. And wickedness has ruined life. And wickedness has brought death and destruction in the world. And we rejoice in seeing God remove wickedness. But he will judge the dead, small and great. Kings and rulers and potentates will stand before Jesus one day and they'll be on their knees. They'll have to bow. Satan himself will have to bow before Jesus one day. See, he's got a name above every name. In front of Jesus, every knee will bow. I don't know about you, but I'm sure being the bride of Christ that we will be there at the great white throne judgment and we will observe it. We will, we will be able to see it. I don't know how we will feel in heaven when we see it. I don't know if we'll feel sadness for the people who are being judged. But I think from what I can feel right now, I will rejoice when Satan has to bow. I might even find Bill. We might high five. Watch him, man. He's got to bow. See him? He ain't so tough now. He's, he's been after me my whole life, and now he's getting his. Okay. But see, it's coming. God's judge. Jesus is judge. And, hey, rewards here. 
You say, man, this Christian life is hard. Man, you're not telling me anything. Man, serving Jesus is hard, you know. Be, you know, reading my Bible and being committed and, and boy, and supporting the church and, and my time and my talents and my resources. Boy, that just takes commitment. It's hard, Pastor. I know, I know. Lord, do it from up here. It's hard, I know. It's challenging. It's, it, listen, it takes sacrifices, doesn't it? I mean, think about it. All of y'all came to the early service. You could have slept in this morning. And I bet about half of y'all thought about it, didn't you? The alarm went off and you went, man, I could just roll over and, you know, just one Sunday, I could just sleep in the day. You know, my alarm goes off early on Sunday morning. I just got to tell you, sometimes. <laughs> maybe I ought to just give it another 15 minutes. No, I get up and take my shower and go to my office and pray before we get here and try to get ready. Listen, what's, what's the result of all that? Well, soul saved, Christians edified, people build up in their faith, getting to come here and listen to good music and be blessed and fellowship. But even more than that, rewards. You see, you're going to stand in front of Jesus one day as a, and, and listen, I want to hear this. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Wasn't no Billy Graham. Didn't reach the whole world. But in a little place where I put you, you did what I told you to do. Can you say that? In the little place where God put me, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm witnessing to the people around me. Where God gave me a job, I'm touching the lives of those people where I work. Touching the people where I go to school. I'm doing the thing that God gave me to do where I am. See, we can stand in front of Jesus one day and he'll say, well done. Well done. And seeing if you serve Jesus here, he's going to give you something to do in heaven. He's going to give you something to do to serve him in heaven. I can't think of anything better, if you will, than to spend all of eternity doing something that Jesus wants me to do for him. And listen, in heaven, you're going to enjoy it. And I even suspect in heaven it won't be difficult. I think it'll be pretty easy. You just do what Jesus told you to do. And then finally, look at what John says in verse 19. When the temple of God was open in heaven and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple, and there was lightnings and noises and thunderings and earthquakes and great hail. We've talked about this before. The temple on earth that God told Israel to build uh, is a type of what's in heaven. Now, the Bible doesn't go into great detail. I don't know if there's this huge building in heaven I, I don't you know in our human minds we can't comprehend all that but in heaven there's there is a, a model if you will of what God gave Israel to build on earth and in heaven there's the rooms the holy of holies where the ark of the covenant is and on earth the significance of that is in that holy of holies the high priest could only go in there once a year to make atonement for the sins of the people. Nobody, and, and the point was this, the reason God did that, that big curtain hanging there that nobody could go in, God, it was a perpetual reminder to Israel that your sin separates you from me. God was saying to them, your sin separates you from your God, and the only thing that allows you to have access to me in the Holy of Holies is that blood atonement every year to cover your blood. Now, we know the writer to the Hebrews said that Jesus was our final offering, that his blood paid for sin forever and took away sin, which the blood of animals couldn't do. And when Jesus died on the cross, that veil was rented too and torn and fell down. And, and what the symbol of that is, is that God said, because of Jesus, the way is open to me all the time now. 
You don't have to have a, a, a priest to come in every year. The high priest, Jesus, our high priest, has already made the way. Okay? So now when you see this scene in heaven, well, here's what John's saying. Man, I looked into heaven, and the temple's open all the way to the Holy of Holies. And God's on his throne. And what John's saying is, there's mercy and grace. The way is open if you come. But then we find in this verse both mercy and grace and judgment. Because you see the lightnings and the noises and the thunderings and the earthquake and the great hail are all associated with judgment. So even, watch this, even while God is offering grace to those who would come and be saved, even during the tribulation, the judgment is there in the background falling on those who reject him. And that will be very clearly seen as the bold judgments begin to be opened. Now, as we tidy up this chapter and finish the seventh trumpet and the seven trumpets that have sounded, we won't actually get to the bold judgments for a few weeks because there's going to be another parenthetical, okay, where God's going to fill in some detail for us. Back to, and actually, it's almost a, a retelling of the story from Satan's perspective, from the world's perspective, that God's going to give us the details, and we'll get into that in the weeks ahead. Let me ask you this today as we finish. Do you understand in your own mind, think about it for a moment, the reality, the reality that Jesus Christ is going to come and rule over this earth. His throne is going to be in Jerusalem, literally. He's going to sit on this planet and he's going to take back what Satan stole. He's going to take back what sin has ruined and he's going to make it right. He's going to banish sin. He's going to banish wickedness and he's going to rule with a wrought iron. Listen, there'll be, when Jesus comes, there will be one law, him. He'll be the first true world dictator, and he will rule rightly and justly and correctly. Are you in his kingdom? Are you a member of his kingdom? Are you saved by faith in Jesus Christ? Are you born again? Have you, have you asked him to forgive your sins so that you know you're saved? If not, I want to invite you to come into that kingdom today. I want to invite you to receive Jesus Christ. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, the Bible says you got to ask him between you and him. you got to pray, confessing your sin with a repentant heart, meaning, God, I'm sorry for my sin, and I know I've offended you, and, and, and I'm asking you to save me. Forgive me. I put my faith in you. If you'll do that, God will save you today. Are you sure that you're saved today? Would you pray to receive Christ right now while we pray? Let's pray together. Father, we are excited to read about what you're going to do. Our hearts are stirred up, Lord, and, and, and we pray for it, God. We ask you that, indeed, your kingdom would be expressed on earth as it is in heaven. God, we long for you to rapture the church, and I know it's in your time and in your plan, but, God, we desire it. We desire to be called out of this world and that you would rapture your bride. And, God, we pray and we desire that you would make things right in this world. Lord, the world is so full of sin and hatred and wickedness. But God, you can change the heart of man and, and, and make us what we ought to be. And God, I pray you would bring that reign of peace and righteousness to this world, Lord. We look forward to that. But God, there may be a man or a woman, a young person here today, and they don't know if they're saved. Right now they can know. Right now they can be sure. Father, they can cry out to you from that seat and say, Oh God, I'm lost and I know it. God, I know I'm a sinner and I'm sorry. I put my faith in Jesus Christ who died for me on the cross. God, with all the faith I have, I ask you to forgive me and save me right now. God, if they'll call out to you, you'll save them. 
I pray right now in this place online, somebody watching from their living room, God, convict them right now, Lord, that they would pray and invite you to save them. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. As we stand and sing a verse of song, I'll be here to help you if I can. You come on the first verse. <laughs>